When I was in college, I, um, it has been said that from college throughout your 20s, it's a time where you are searching for your identity. I don't know if that's true for all 20s, but I can definitely say that I fit into that, that mold. I was looking for what was going to um, help me find myself, help me find my place, help me find my purpose, help me find my um, belonging. Um, and so when you're in college, you kind of do what all other college students do to find that. And in our school, the way that someone found their niche or their identity was pledging a fraternity. So there's a lot of fraternities, a lot of sororities on our campus. And so as, a, as an incoming student to my university, I said, God, you know, if I'm going to be accepted in popular, all the things I really wanted, I got to be in a fraternity. So I pledged a fraternity and I got in. I don't know how. Someone must have bribed somebody to get me in, but I got in. And um, I, 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 don't admit, I don't confess that that is a godly thing, by the way. I'm not saying, wow, you know, that's how we should find our identity and purpose. But on my campus and in my 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 mind, that was what was important. So I got into a fraternity. I got to wear the letters. And I was supposedly popular, important, etc., etc. What I, what, I, what I knew about my organization, but it wasn't on the top of my list, it's just because this organization was cool in my mind. What I knew about my organization is it was not just a fraternity, but it was a service fraternity. And when I got in, I realized that they really actually believed in serving people, which, you know, okay, I need to learn a little bit more about that. They actually had a motto. They had been around for 100 years on campus, and the motto of the organization was, anything for Baylor. We'll do anything for Baylor. And not only was their motto anything for Baylor, but they had a code of ethics about serving that um, the, the more that you could do in secret, the more that you could serve without anybody knowing that you were serving, the better. That sounds, actually sounds biblical, doesn't it? That we would not be serving for our own credit, but we would be doing it out of the goodness of our heart for the, for the sake of somebody else. I got into an organization for myself. I found out that the organization was living for other people. Darn it. <laughs> and man, did they do it. My pledge period was, uh, you know, if, if the motto was godly, the pledge period was hell. <laughs> Pledging was very tough. And um, I don't know if I knew fully what this organization was about, and it wasn't a lot about me, but it was a lot about other people. I'm not quite sure I would have gone through the hell to get into it. But I was in it, and... We did a lot of service. We did a lot of things. Anything for Baylor really meant anything. We did a lot of things. We, well, I can't tell you what we did because then that would be breaking the code of everything being in secret. But we, let's just say that there was a lot of things that happened after everybody was asleep at night. But we not only did a lot of private service, but we did some group, organ we did some group campus things. We actually hosted um, the Parents Weekend um, for our campus. We um, put on a spring fun day during the, the, the spring, which all the students came to, called Dia de Loso. We, we actually took care of the mascot, the ba Baylor, its mascot is the bears. And so we had a bear pit that we actually cleaned, which new members were the ones who cleaned it. Um, 
We, and we also um, hosted for the campus um, their homecoming. At the time that I was in the organization, I don't know if that's still true, but Baylor's homecoming was one of the longest running homecomings, one of the largest homecomings of alumni coming back to their school, and it boasted having the largest parade, the large, largest school parade of any parade in the country. Now, mind you, there are only 55 of us in this organization. And oh yeah, by the way, we go to school. We go 15, hour, 15 to 20 hours a week at school, we, some, a, lot of, a lot of us worked part-time jobs. In the most time-consuming event, a lot of us were dating people. That was a joke. Um, we were busy. We were busy people, fully engaged in study, fully engaged in part-time jobs, fully engaged in uh, relational activity, and yet we had committed ourselves to being a part of an organization that was not just looking to our own needs, but was serving others. I remember as a sophomore at the Baylor homecoming, we had spent weeks and weeks all night doing signs for the cars and setting up barricades, advertising, promoting the logistics, yada, 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 speaking, etc., pumping up uh, this wonderful event. And I remember being at homecoming in the middle of the homecoming weekend on Saturday morning and standing off to the side as these incredibly beautiful floats were passing by um, in this awesome fantastic, family-oriented, exciting parade. And I stood back and I went, wow, we did this. We, we made this happen. I didn't stand back and go, wow, I pulled this off. I made homecoming happen because there's no way in the world that I would have ever had the vision for homecoming coming into Baylor. I definitely wouldn't have had the attitude that I wanted to put in that kind of work to do it. And I definitely couldn't have done it by myself. There's no way that I or we could have even pulled it off if, unless we banded together to make homecoming happen. It was a we thing. You've probably had many experiences yourself just like that. You have similar stories. You've been in plays. You've been on teams. You've been a part of business groups that have, that have pulled together a multi-million dollar deal. You've been a part of a teaching faculty that's come together and directed the course of a, of a, a school's uh, education for the year. You've been a part. I would guarantee that probably all of you in this room have been a part of either a small or larger teams where if you were just doing the task alone, there's absolutely no way that you would be able to. Not only would you not be able to do it, you might not even have motivation to do it because oftentimes in the context of the team, we get motivated for the task ahead of us. When we were starting the series, we jumped back, got cards under my feet, we jumped back to the beginning of our series, this deep series, we, looked, we were looking at Luke um, 5 verses 1 through 11. Remember the story? We've been re rehearsing it every week, but Jesus is teaching on the shore. Um, he's gathered a crowd. Um, they're listening to this great teacher. He hops into a boat, Peter's boat, some fishermen's boats, and he pushes off to the to the to the a little bit off the off the coast so that he can get a place to preach to the crowds. But not only does he preach to the crowds from the boat, but his message for the day was to identify Peter and some of the disciples and call them to something bigger than themselves. And so he says, "Hey, let's push out to the deep and let's catch some fish." Peter is the spokesperson for this fishing crew, but we know there's a couple of boats out there. Peter says, we've already been fishing. There's no way that we're going to catch any fish. 
they put their nets down. The story goes, lots of fish come up. So many fish that one boat can't contain them. There's two boats that have to be called together to, catch, to contain all the fish. Peter, at that moment, looks at Jesus and in a repentant heart says, you know, basically says, I am sorry. You know, I should not have judged what you can do. And Jesus says, Peter, don't be afraid. I'm not here to, implicit in what he's communicating, I'm not here to condemn or judge you. I'm here to call you. I'm going to call you to something beyond just fishing for fish. I want you to fish for men. It says that they row their boats or get their boats back to the shore. And Peter, along with some of his companions, drop their nets and they follow Jesus. Jesus called individuals. But he didn't just call one individual. He really called a team, didn't he? He didn't just call Peter. Peter came, but James and John came too. And as a matter of fact, over the course of the next days and few weeks, there was a group of people coming. There was a group of 12 disciples, but we have indications from Scripture it wasn't just the 12 disciples. There was a growing throng of people, men and women, who were following Jesus through the countryside, into the towns, living with Him, hearing from Him, and, um, walking with Him in ministry, learning from Him as a group of people, a team, a growing, what we would call, as we look at later in Scripture, a church, was emerging. I fully believe that was by design. Jesus did not say to Peter, okay, you come and follow me, and for the next three weeks, just you and I are going to hang out. And then after you get what I've got, then I'm going to call James, and then we're going to walk for another three or four weeks. And then I, he didn't do that. But he called a team because there is something powerful about us walking and living together. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, remember? That that team was not a very homogenous team, was it? There were a lot of people that in any given other given circumstances would not be hanging out together. Look around. Look around. No, go ahead. Look around. It's okay. Look at everybody. You might not. Just keep on looking. All of you who are not good enough, or are too good to be turn around and look, just look. I just want to say something. As you look around, I guarantee you would never hang out with some of these people if they were in church. <laughs> now, I'm not going to let you say that to the person you would hang out with if it weren't for church. But I guarantee you that if... In your given life, without the work of Jesus in you and the calling together of his church, you probably would not ever hang out with some of these people. It might be because you don't walk in the same place in life. It might be if, it, if you really got to talking apart from Jesus, you don't agree with much of what they believe. You might not even like what they do. That's the beauty of the church. Some of my best friends are so opposite from me. But Jesus calls us together because he's doing something glorious, not only in our own individual lives, but in us as a group. It's coalescing something that the world cannot produce. Unity, love, vision, mission, purpose among a motley crew of people that cannot do it without God. Isn't that awesome? So he called them. They came together and he called them to a mission. What was the mission? What do you say? I'm going to make you fishers of men. We're going to go fishing. We're going to go fishing. We're going to go fishing for men. We're going to show the kingdom of God to this world. And so what happened? People were delivered from demons. People were healed from sicknesses. People's judgments were confronted. 
Wise people were confounded by the wisdom of God. Whatever judge, whatever wall that a person can put up before God, Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to knock that down. Every ounce of unbelief you have in your intellect, circumstances, or life situations, I'm going to totally blow the doors off of that situation and reveal to you that I am God and I can do miraculous things in your life. The disciples, the team saw that. The team started to believe in it, right? So they're walking with him. They're doing it. They're doing crowd control. They're feeding crowds. They're watching. And then he says, now I want to send you out. And I want you to go do the same. Remember that? He takes the 72 and he says, okay, go. So Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. They went out, and we know at the end of Scripture, the rest of Scripture says, and the demons fled, people were healed, and the power of God was displayed through their life. He had shown them, he had empowered them, they did it, and they came back with good reports. As teams, as a team on mission with God, and then he gives them even a greater responsibility when he leaves. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to help the church be established, grow, in advance. And so we see it in Acts 2, exactly that. Go into all the world, Acts 1. I mean, Matthew 28, go into all the world, baptize. Acts 1, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. Acts 2, boom, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born, and it's exactly what the church does. It gets filled up with God, it gets excited about God, people are being saved daily, and then God scatters them to the cities and the nations around them to proclaim Jesus. That is the church. That's you. That's me. We're not in a movie theater. We're not reading history books. That's us. That's our call. Ah, oh, that was back then. He's got a new method. It's called Twitter. She's going to do it from home and watch football and tweet at the same time. Kingdom of Dancing. That's not the goal. My own, my own journey was similar. My own journey was similar. Jesus called me. Saved me when I was seventh grader. He, he placed me into his kingdom. He excited me about his life. He turned my world around. He turned my darkness into light. Then he placed me in a tribe. He called me to a group of people, a people, a church to walk with. I went through a training school called Master's Commission, which is very similar to our discipleship training school here. And he took me deeper in the understanding of who he was, and he put me on a team. And we went out and did things together, just like the disciples did with Jesus. He's in our midst. The Holy Spirit's with us. And we went and did things like... Powerful things like visit nursing homes. It's powerful. Amen. Amen. We did awesome, life-changing things like host kids' backyard Bible clubs. Where one kid said, why do, why do people sin? Because they're mean and they got the devil in them. It's good theology. It's good theology. We were earth-shaking, transformational kingdom changers with these kids. We cleaned the church. We led Bible studies, and then we went on mission trips. We did the menial, and we did the miraculous. We saw people healed of sicknesses. 
We saw diseases healed in Eastern Europe as a team. We were walking with Jesus. We would do whatever he wanted us to do. If it was behind the scenes and it meant washing a wall, we would do that. If it meant standing in a crowd of 300 people in, the, in, in Bulgaria that were asking for the gospel and preaching it, and every single one of them giving their hearts to the Lord and people getting healed, we would do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom of God. Because we're the church. And we had each other motivating one another to do this. And then I came back and God said, now I want to give you some more responsibility. Be a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was able to be a part of seeing Antioch Ministries form. And then God said, I want you to take what you're experiencing, this revival life, and I want you to take it to another people, to another location. And I want you to plant that revival life where you go. So we moved to Boston in a team to start over, to do it again, to say, God, would you dream your dreams through us? And if I were to say, where did it start? Where did this dreaming and this, this, this motivation start with me? I, I, I go back to sitting in a room with about 20 or 30 other people in a living room with a man named Jimmy Seifert. And Jimmy saying to the group of people in the room who now are scattered throughout the nations of the world, he said, hey, I feel like God's called us to be marvelous comrades for life. Not that, not that there's an obligation or a commitment that we have to keep, but a mutual submission to one another, a mutual giving to one another. We're in this. Let's dream the dreams of God together. And we're called together to reach the world for Jesus. What a radical, crazy dream. Well, you know what? In some small way, we're doing it. We're not... We haven't reached the world yet, but we're in a lot of the parts of the world. At this moment, that small band of 20 to 30 people, men and women, sitting in that living room once a month, worshiping, praying, encountering the presence of God, repenting of our sins, calling out for more of God, saying, God, use me however you want to, all of us in our 20s. At this point right now, there's 25 U.S. churches as a result of that living room experience, and there's at least 25 or more overseas works in the, on the field, in nations all over the world. Because people were willing to say, you know what, let's throw it in. Let's do this together. Let's go for it. Let's just imagine that God is big enough to use our frail offerings together to change the world. If you're sitting in this room, you're a part of that. Because this is a part of that story. I'm here because of that living room. You are here because of what has happened in our team's life that came up in 1998. And we have three churches in this area, another in Arizona, three or four works overseas, just out of that replanting that our team did by leaving that jacuzzi, that spiritual jacuzzi that I call it, and moving to Boston to create another jacuzzi factory. We want the presence and the life of God to be multiplied through us and in us. As a people, we could not, I could definitely not do it if it was just Laura and I moving up here together. We would have, we would have died in the first blizzard. <laughs> Literally. If it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for my good, the good friends, the barbers who I went to seminary with at Gordon Conwell, bringing us down, we moved in during a blizzard, bringing down a box of Joe and saying it's going to be okay. <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, what is a box of Joe? But I'm taking it and I'm taking you. Hold on to me. I'm not going to make it without you. We wouldn't have made it if we wouldn't have had the vision of God and the team of people around us 
to see it happen. You're a part of that. You're a part of that. And that's why in the Gospels, it's very, very infrequently that the messages that we read really are for us as individuals. Oftentimes the things we take as individual messages for us are really for us, plural. Not you personal, but us personal, uh, plural. Uh, in Texas we'd say it's for y'all. Here we would say it's for you guys. It's for us. It's for us. It's all y'all. That's even the worst thing. Figure that one out. Sounds like a tool. Okay. So, but Paul, he preaches to the churches, right? He writes letters to churches most of the time. Every once in a while, he addresses an individual, Timothy, um, Philemon. But most of the time, he's writing to churches. When Jesus spoke to the churches in Revelation, through, spoke to us through John, it was to the seven churches. It was a communication to us as a people. If God were to speak now, he would speak to us, I believe, the river church. The river. Here's my word to you. Matthew 16, 18, when he was commissioning Peter as the, the leader of the church, he said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell or death will not overcome it. That the church is the vessel, not you and me, we are a part of it. And some of us have unique gifts that are at the tip of the church at times, leading out or supporting or encouraging. But the church is the, is the entity, it's the, it's the vehicle, it's the vessel in which God fills with His glory so that the world can see the glory of God. So that people can be rescued from the pit of hell. The story I shared in the middle of, this, of the worship service of this young man. He got saved by Jesus. What was the first thing that he did? He said, I got to go find the church. I got to find the people that I trust. That I can unite with. So that I can be a part of something that protects, encourages me. But also that I can be a part of being released in who I am. It's exactly what he was saying. And the church will storm the gates of hell. And see those captive set free. The gates, the doors of prison will not withstand the power of the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Reinhard Bonnke, one of the great evangelists of the modern era who has seen hundreds of thousands of people saved, especially in the continent of Africa. One of his favorite sayings is this. I want to plunder hell to populate heaven. The church is called to plunder hell to populate heaven. That is our timeless mission. And God is calling not me, but the church to do it. We, we, we. And I'm speaking that in English and French. We, 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 and yes, yes, yes. Whatever nation you're from, it is we, yes, go. Yeah? Okay. We, we, we. We communed together today, not I. We pull together our resources when we tithe an offering. Not my resources don't get it done, but our resources get it done together. We covenant together when we say, this is my church. 
We say, not my church building or my church message or my church vision, but my church. It's my family. I'm here and the River Church is my church because you're my people. We go on missions together. We reach out there. We are a team. The River Team. The River Team. Jerseys are coming. The River Team. The only thing is, is that you put somebody else's name on the back of your nose, like the river team. Get it. We are a team, and we are a church, and we need every part. Ephesians four sixteen. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We cannot dream dreams that change the world if we don't have each other. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. For your own life or for the life of the church. He uses us in our each individual speakers, logistics, prayer warriors, students, teachers, evangelists. We're all together to do us part. And lastly, we the River Church have a specific assignment of God. We have a timeless vision. Go, teach, preach, witness. Those are timeless calls that every believer has and every church has. Every church has that same vision. If they don't have that vision, by the way, it's not a church. Right? You can call yourself whatever you want to, but you only are, you only is what you is. Right? They say that in the South. Right. And it's correct in the South. Right. Is what it is. Southern Bible. <laughs> <That's wrong. laughs> but we have a timeless vision. But we also have time sensitive visions. Remember, the temple had to be built. They had to have a vision to build the temple, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They had to have a blueprint. It took time. It took 180,000 laborers to build the temple. It took a few years. There are times and moments where God calls us to specific tasks and specific vision. In the New Testament, when the Jerusalem church was going through a famine and it was in a place of poverty, the Antioch church said, you know what, we need to take up offerings. We need to, we need to create a system of collecting money and resources so that we can take care of our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So there are times and moments when God says, okay, in the midst of this timeless call that we're trying to fulfill, here's how you're going to do it, and here's what you're called to in this specific moment. We as a church have... Um, a specific vision that strengthens and encourages the timeless vision to reach the lost and glorify God and to equip the saints for service. Amen? Amen. And so at the end of the service, as we conclude here today, we're going to hand you, and we're going to be talking about this um, next week and over the course of the next few months, we're going to hand you a um, booklet that gives you a a little letter on the front of it that kind of communicates um, some of the thoughts that we have as a staff and a board for what the direction of this church is, specifically for some of the time-sensitive goals that we have for seeing the the church, the River Church, reach the objective of uh, being revived in God, uh, refreshing community, releasing purpose, and going out there and making disciples of all nations. So how do we fulfill that, that overarching vision We've got a few, a few things that we're going to communicate with you. I'm going to hand that out to you here in a minute. You're going to take it home with you, and then we'll come in detail. We'll talk about it a little bit at the beginning of next, next week's sermon. But I want to end with this. Just like we talked about last week, we talked about having a personal vision with God last week. In the same way, um, 
As a corporate vision, we can be distracted from a corporate vision, can't we? And the same issues apply. Let me remind you of what I, what I communicated last week. <clears throat> One of the ways that we get um, distracted from the corporate vision of, of living for the church, which is Christ's body, which is the most important thing that we're a part of, by the way. I don't have any problem saying that. I'm a family of seven. I have five kids. My kids are a part of the church, but the church, we, we are a part of the church. The church, not the activities of the church necessarily or the structure of the church, but the body of Christ is more important than my family. My kids know that, right? My kids are not more important than, than the church of Jesus Christ. We are a part of the church. And we are, we are a close-knit, fight-for-each-other family. Don't mess with the rich but we're in your boat. We're in each other's boat. The Richmonds are going to be here for you. We're a part of this body. That's what it's about, right? We live and breathe for one another in the body of Christ. No strings attached. No obligations. Out of love and service. But when we do that, it's awesome. But we, sometimes we don't, we, don't, we don't embrace that because of our own insulation. And sometimes our indifference of the importance of the church. We don't let the mission of the church infect us as it should. It's not our main thing. I go on Sundays. I fill, I fill, up, I, I fill out the, you know, the checklist. God's going to see my record. I'm a perfect attender on Sundays when I can be there. <laughs> not saying attending on Sunday is, is a requirement. If I have the time, if I have anything left over, I will get if my plate is not too full, we've got to reorient ourselves. Not out of law, not out of, not out of comparison. We're not looking to the left or right, but we are saying to our own individual person and our family, God, what is your church about today? And how can I be a part of it? And how do you want to use me? We don't like that message in our society. I was sitting around with a group of, of people that are in their 20s and 30s, and the whole notion of this next generation is, don't obligate me to anything. I want to choose. Don't, don't have any system or regulation to my life because I want to be free to do whatever I want to do on the moment that I want to do it. And there's some good to that. There's a freedom to, to, to give and to go, but there's also something that's not incredibly good about that because we have to be willing to say, you know what, if for the next five years I'm committed to this because it's God, I'll do it. And it's life-giving. I use that as an exaggeration. There's no five-year calls in here. You know what I'm saying? God, what are you doing to link me and unite me to your work that's bigger than just my own life? Sometimes it's indifference. Sometimes it's complacency. Sometimes it's being driven by the things that are in our world that are really, really good, our own lives, to keep us from being a part of what something is better. Okay. Could you pass those things out? So, you know, we did the whole teacher thing because we know that once we pass it out, you're not going to pay attention to me another lick. You know, if you're going to open that thing up. You're going to see that fancy design on the front. You're going to go, what is that? I'm going to let you think about it all week, what the design is on the front. You're going to see a letter on the back. You're going to see some stuff. I will encourage you just for a minute. Ah, you did it. Just, just for a minute before you just go crazy looking at it. There's a lot of details that are not in this that we will cover in the weeks to come. But we wanted to give you an overview of some of the high points that we're thinking about. 
So we want you to pray. You're in this room. God, I believe that this is the church that you've called me to. What is my role? What is my place? What is my offering um, that you're calling me to? And uh, we're inviting you to um, go all in. Part of the imagery of the deed is jumping in, saying, I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to protect myself. I'm not going to hold on to my interests, but I'm going to jump in with the church to what God is calling us to do. And that's what we're calling.